We are living in survival mode mostly right now, but the thing that makes life feel good and beautiful is being out of that somewhat. And of course, you can't totally move out of survival mode when there really is a crisis and a really kind of traumatic event, but you can give your relationship these little pieces of dreaming. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi guys. If you've got love on the brain and you're crazy in love, but it's killing you softly, this one's for you. Today, we're talking about relationships, the struggles couples are facing right now, communication strategies to help improve things, and what we've learned about our own relationships in quarantine. And we're learning from the best today because we called in relationship therapist Liz Earnshaw, who helps clients and hundreds of thousands of social media followers develop healthier relationships every day. And couples are navigating totally new and unprecedented stressors in their relationships right now. So whether you're stuck at home quarantining together 24-7, isolated far apart in a distanced relationship, dealing with parenting or coping with financial and career stress, it's a lot right now. It's true. So it's more important than ever to come at these things as a team and to have super strong communication Mm -hmm. and to still find ways to have fun and just loving times together, no matter what the circumstances are. So I've learned a lot about myself, the good, bad and the ugly and about relationships and love during these past crazy few months. And a big takeaway for me was that scheduling quality time is so important if you are apart from your loved ones. When I wasn't making plans in my relationships in advance, even if they were just virtual, I found that we just completely lost having any quality time together. And I felt really alone and lonely because I have been dealing with a distanced partnership um, between the States and Canada. And it is different because before you can count on like seeing someone you know, allotted amount of time, whether you go three or four weeks without seeing each other, but you know you can count on that. And I think uncertainty yeah. adds this whole other layer that's just... It can really fuck you up. (laughs) So the other thing I figured out pretty quickly is that I need to ask directly for what I need. Otherwise, it's just really frustrating when your emotional needs aren't being met and you can't expect your partner to be a mind reader, especially when you're far away and they can't pick up on physical cues. So the best thing you can do is to just ask for what you need. If you need more reassurance or more quality time, you just need to really outline what you require in order to be okay. Yeah. Another thing I realized, guys, you cannot only talk about the pandemic or whatever crisis is going on in the world at the time that you listen to this. You need to talk about other things because I feel like for a month straight, all we would do is get on FaceTime and talk about the pandemic. And it just got really stressful and really tense. So it's important to talk about other shit. There's still a whole world of things going on. And even though this seems all consuming, find other things. Yeah, we we had to stop watching the news, too, because it was just too much and 
communication in general obviously is like important no matter what your circumstance is, but it becomes more important than ever in times of fear and uncertainty. I'm an over communicator 100%. I have to talk everything through, like no matter how small it is. I think it's probably, you know, the way I was raised that we didn't communicate really openly and vulnerably about our emotions. So I've kind of gone to the opposite end of the spectrum and I have to discuss everything that comes up. And sometimes that's not for everyone, but you just learn in every relationship how to deal with that. Something I really learned from our conversation with Liz is that. You guys will hear more about this very soon, but I'm a pursuer and my partner is a stonewaller. And so that basically means I am constantly kind of like attacking the problem and communicating about it and have to bring it up in the moment and have to try to solve it and have to like pursue connection and conflict resolution and attention and communication. And my partner, you know, might be more closed up when it comes to conflict and might not be as receptive to delving into absolutely every single thing that comes up. So I've now learned from chatting with Liz that there are ways that I can still pursue the communication I need without being overbearing because sometimes it's not helpful to just keep going after something when the other person really needs a break. So I had a pretty pivotal moment in my relationship after talking to Liz this past week where I was expressing some of my concerns and my anxieties and my partner just shut down because we didn't have all the answers. We didn't really have a clear path forward on how to solve what our our problems were at that point. Mm -hmm. So it just became this overwhelming, unresolvable problem. And I didn't really know what my goal for the conversation was when I was going into it. I just wanted to vent that I just wasn't feeling okay. And then as I communicated and realized I wasn't looking for a solution in that moment. I was just looking for reassurance. I just wanted to be listened to and heard and validated and understood and I just wanted love at the end of the day. I just really wanted some reassurance and some love and to know that we could work on our solutions together. So if there's one thing I could say that this pandemic relationship navigating has taught me, it is that it's very helpful when you have difficult conversations to figure out what you're looking for Mm -hmm. when you go into them and and what you want to get out of them because my partner might be looking for like a logical problem-solving session and I might be looking for like an emotional support or soothing and just to be heard and respected and if we have different objectives and we can't line up it's not going to be a good conversation so that was a win thank you Liz (laughs) thanks Liz yeah no it's really important that you communicate that too so your partner's not just trying to problem solve and fix all the problems that you've got going on in the world and they're just there to listen and it's funny because like Gabe and I are the opposite of you and your partner, which is great because I can understand where he's coming from sometimes and you can understand where Gabe is coming from sometimes because I'm the stonewaller and Gabe's the pursuer. And something that Gabe and I did the other day was one of these end of the week prompts that Liz had actually posted on her Instagram. And it was just a way to sort of close off the week with your partner and just ask, I think it was four or five questions, um, just to see what went well and what you could help your partner through next week to make next week even better. And it was honestly so fun. It was a little awkward at the beginning because you're asking questions like, are you, are you okay? Are you but are you (laughs) just really trying to break people down, but in a good way, but with everything that's going on with the pandemic and work and just 
daily life, it can be so hard to remember to shut off and just reconnect with each other and ask those questions. So yeah, we did the prompts. We talked about what went well this week, what didn't, what we're worried about, what we need from each other in the next coming week, uh, what we're most looking forward to doing. And it kind of helped me see exactly where Gabe is at and what he needs from me. Because I know what I need and I can just try to show up for him and guess what he needs. But if you don't ask, it's similar to the situation you were talking about before. You just can't go in assuming that you know what your partner needs. You just got to ask. We've been together for 10 years and we are still learning like every day. But the number one thing is, and you will hear this in this episode with Liz, communication is key. He can't read my mind. I can't read his. And our needs are ever changing. So if we're not communicating what's going on, it's going to be really hard to solve any conflicts that come our way. And we also have very different communication styles. So I'm very careful with my words. More often than not, I would just rather hold back and not get into any arguments because I hate conflict, like literally written from conflict. Meanwhile, (laughs) Gabe will say anything and everything that's on his mind. And that's just, that's how he is. And I think there's something that we could both take away from both of those styles. Uh, He's taught me to voice my feelings more. So have you, because you are the same. Um, fiery a fiery lady (laughs) (laughs) my inner fire breathing dragon comes out now (laughs) and it's good because now he's learned to like take a pause and and take a moment to collect his thoughts before he speaks so that you know we're not just at each other yeah (laughs) that's a big thing I think a lot of couples have to figure out so kudos to you guys for for identifying that in each other and communication is key But we are not the relationship experts, so we called in Liz, a licensed marriage and family therapist and founder of A Better Life Therapy in Philadelphia. She helps couples through issues like betrayal, grief, loss, and trauma while teaching the art of communication. And you might have seen her on Instagram where she shares incredibly valuable relationship advice and therapy strategies on her account at Liz Listens. We had such an amazing chat with Liz that we're going to be releasing this interview in two parts. So stay tuned for part two of this interview when we dive deeper into relationships, conflict, and communication two weeks from now. She is so wise and kind and insightful. I wish I could just talk to her every day for the rest of my life. (laughs) I I mean, maybe I can. I'll I'll hit you up later for that, Liz. (laughs) We learned so much from our time with her, and we hope you guys do too. Teach us how to have healthier relationships, Liz. So relationships have changed a lot for many people during this pandemic. Uh, So we're wondering what advice you would give to people who have been in a situation like me where they're navigating long distance relationships because they have to isolate separately during the quarantine. Because it's, yeah, it's a whole new world. And I feel like some people are in relationships and they're close together, but they just have to quarantine separately for whatever reasons. Other people are used to long distance relationships, but there's this added uncertainty and pressure of like, when will borders open? When can I see you next? Maybe your experience is different in a different country than mine. And so there's this whole shift in like how our lives are unfolding and we can't relate to each other. So asking for a friend, (laughs) how do you navigate that? really hard. And like you said, there's a lot of different situations. I think some things that are really, really, really important to consider, and this is for every relationship, but creatively considering what it looks like for long distance, 
you know, how do you stay ritualized with each other? So how do you create things that you can depend on? You can't depend on the visit in two weeks, but what do you depend on? And it's not going to feel the same. And I think you have to give yourself space to say, ugh, but that's not as good as like touching each other. But, um, you know, do you depend on every Friday night, no matter what, you both get off of work at 6 p.m. and you hang out? And you watch a movie together. Mm-hmm. Do you depend on a morning text? So really having rituals and being very, very good at following through. The other thing that I think is super important right now is responsiveness. So if you're really far apart, you need extra responsiveness than you would if you were together because you don't get to see the nonverbal signals. You don't see the person like passing your office while they walk down the hallway. You don't really know if they're there. So you really need to be able to, in a realistic way, I'm not saying expect your partner to text you all day long, but if you see that there's a message, you know, when you get off your Zoom call, right back. Hey, I saw that that's there because you really want to be creating as much secure attachment as you can. Um, And responsiveness as well in terms of their stress. So being able to hear their stress and be present for it and be curious about it is is important, but it's challenging right now because you have your own and then the relationship is a stressor. So what do you do to self-soothe if your partner is talking to you about the relationship, stressing them out and really working on being able to like take a deep breath and say, you know, this is totally valid that they feel super stressed that we're not going to see each other. Or it's totally valid that they feel stressed that We have to have a phone call at 10 p.m. their time because my time zone is different. So really giving them some validity to their experience is important. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding what each person is going through. And we'll talk about communication more in a bit. But I think you can't expect someone to guess what you need, especially when you're far apart. So you really have to ask for what you need. And that can be really hard for people who like to try to be independent or who kind of raised to navigate things on your own. So I've, yeah, I've definitely learned during this time that if I need more reassurance than usual, and that might be a bit embarrassing, but it's just what I need. I have to just ask for it and say, hey, I really need some validation and reassurance and for you to be present right now. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's really important to be transparent. And while another thing I was thinking that's important is that even though you can't plan that you're still finding ways to dream together, we are living in survival mode mostly right now. But the thing that makes life feel good and beautiful is being out of that somewhat. And of course, you can't totally move out of survival mode when there really is a crisis and a really kind of traumatic event. But you can give your relationship these little pieces of dreaming. And so it might not, you might not know when you're going to take that vacation, but can you still send emails back and forth about how beautiful Iceland is, you know, like really trying to still dream together. Oh, that's so nice. I'm tearing up. <laughs> that's so nice. Oh, I, <laughs> I love Yeah. That. Cause you will, you will get, you know, human beings are really smart and you are going to get to have your relationship again. And so you don't want to go back into your relationship only having had six months of survival. You want to go back and say, yay, okay, it's time for us to plan our trip we, that we've been dreaming about. And then on the other end of that, what advice do you have for couples who might be struggling with being isolated at home together 24-7 for the first time? So this is like the flip side. <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend. 
I think a lot of the same advice applies. It's just how do you look at it in terms of people in a home together? And again, we always want to really consider like, how are we being respectful of each other? And I think that when we think about respect in these common spaces that you're sharing, the piece of how would you expect a roommate to treat you and how would you treat a roommate really needs to start being um, considered because normal times you might only see each other a few hours a day and maybe there are the little quirks of leaving a sock somewhere or forgetting about the dishes. It's like not a big deal because you're in the house for three hours. But if you're in your house all, and this might not apply to everybody because there are essential workers who are not in their house all day, but if you're in your house all day long with another person and you're not having, um, you're not showing manners towards each other, that's going to be really problematic. And it's going to light a fuse that might be very long, but eventually will be very short. <laughs> the other piece of you know advice would be responsiveness, super important still. You're both experiencing stress. How can you hear it without dismissing it? If you're in a space where you are stressed, so you can't take on their stress, can the two of you actually come up with a plan for what it looks like to say, hey, it's not a good time for me? Because, you know, if I come to you and I say, oh, I'm so stressed out, I just had to lay off 15 people, and you say, I can't hear it right now, <laughs> I'm likely going to feel very rejected and that's going to make me angry or whatever. But if, we talk together and we say, hey, like when we're stressed, can we agree that if one of us can't hear it, this is what we say? That way it's not a big surprise. You can kind of follow through on that agreement. And then, you know, I think the same thing. Dreaming is super, super important and maintaining some special rituals, still trying to have times that are relationship times, not work times. So if it's relationship time, do not have the laptop out responding to emails because then nothing is sacred anymore. But yeah, I think that those are some important things to consider. I love that. And the last point, especially of kind of shutting down at the end of the day is so important because I know the first couple of weeks that we were in in quarantine, we were working 24-7 because mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of pressure to always be on, especially if there's concerns about furloughs or layoffs happening. So we were just working nonstop and there was no end of the day for us. Normally mm -hmm. we have our commute that sort of separates home and work life. And when you remove that, it's sort of like, well, it just never ends. You, you know, you lost, you lost the organic rituals. Like there are yeah. rituals we create and then there's rituals that are forced upon us. One of which is the way that we come home after work. Like it looks almost the same every single day. So, you know, oh, I get home first and I change my clothes and then my partner comes home and then we make dinner or we watch TV or we have alone time. But there's totally. nothing marking that right now. So you have to be really mindful of how you're going to mark that in your own relationship. And then how can couples also use this time to reconnect and improve their relationship? I know you, you touched on, on it a bit about sort of ending the day and, and carving out that time for just the two of you, but is there anything else that they can, they can do to make it a priority? Yeah, I think that the first is that you're being really, really intentional about it. And you're just saying that sometimes it's going to be really, really hard for us to make this time to connect. It's actually much easier to be intentional about connecting when you also know the ways in which you're going to get your own time. I think that if people don't have their own free time, then it starts to bleed into connection time. So, you know, if 
I haven't had time to myself and my husband and I are sitting on the couch, that might be the time where I start chatting with my friends through text message or where if my husband hasn't had time for himself, maybe he's looking up memes on Instagram or something like that. But if we kind of say to each other, you know, you go do your thing for an hour, whatever you need to do. And then at eight o'clock, let's hang out. It makes that time a lot more quality and intentional instead of being something that you're shoving all of the pieces in together. Continuing on with the communication, what are some strategies for communicating better with your partner just in like day-to-day life, but also when you're in conflict? Yeah. So one of the most helpful approaches I think that there is out there is really understanding Gottman's Four Horsemen. Are the two of you familiar at all? No. No. So Dr. John Gottman is a relationship researcher, and he has researched couples since the 70s, so for decades, and thousands of couples. And he's hooked them up to machines while they're in conflict to, to pay attention to heart rate. They've, they have a love lab where they kind of watch couples live in an apartment and they see what the couples do. And with all of this data from thousands of couples, they were able to find that certain couples that they call the masters of relationships do things very, very differently when they're in conflict than couples that they call the disasters. <laughs> and the masters and the disasters, they do things different, but they do things differently in the same four categories. So they're kind of um, opposite to each other in these four categories. And he calls them the four horsemen because when you start seeing them show up in your relationship, it's like the apocalypse, right? So the four <laughs> horsemen of the apocalypse, it's, it, it stands for the end of times. So once you see these things in your relationship, you really want to figure out how do I shift out of them? And in all of the research, he found that people can change. So a couple that is using these things and they're a disaster, they can become the masters if they replace the behaviors. So the four horsemen are criticism. And what criticism is in this context, a lot of people will say, but don't we learn to give constructive criticism? And isn't it good to give feedback? And that's not what it means in this context. What it means in this context is that you take a problem that you have with the relationship, with your house, with your life, and you put it inside of the other person. So you get home and there's so many dishes in the sink, right? And it's a mess. The problem is the dishes, Mm. right? And the problem is how the dishes are being handled. But if I'm being critical, I'm going to say to my husband, you are always sitting on that couch when I get in the door. And you can catch yourself being critical when you use the words always or never. Those are absolute statements. It's very rare that anything is always or never. So if I say that to my husband, my husband is then going to likely do what's the second horseman, which is defensiveness. So couples that use criticism and defensiveness, they are on a really difficult path. And my husband is probably going to say, well... When do you want me to clean the dishes? I was here all day with our son while you were out at work. And when are you going to take your car in to get it inspected? I thought you were supposed to do that yesterday. And then I'm likely going to amp it up and criticize them some more, right? You never listen to me. You don't clean our house. Like, what's the big deal here? So it goes into this this big cycle. 
So those are two of the four horsemen, criticism and defensiveness. And what you can replace criticism with is something called gentle startup. So complaining is fine. It's good to complain. I can walk in the door and say, oh my gosh, this house is a mess. <gasps> what am I going to do about it? What are we going to do? That's fine. It's not criticizing. But what you want to try to do is something called gentle startup, which is where you start the conversation gently. Because the research also shows that the first three minutes of a conversation determine the direction. So if I come in and say, you never clean up, the direction is not going to go very good. But if I say, babe, can we talk? <laughs> when I come in at the end of the day and I see dishes in the sink, I feel so frustrated and I'm so tired and I need us to have some sort of solution. We might still bicker, but the likelihood of him getting defensive is much less. And if he is defensive, for me, it's much easier to hold my ground and say, you know, I think I said that very fairly. I think I said it in a really nice way. And I don't think you're hearing me right now. So I'm going to step away until we can solve this, right? And the antidote to defensiveness, if you use defensiveness, is to learn how to take responsibility for your part. So somebody comes in and they say, oh my God, the house is a mess. And of course you want to defend yourself. They're criticizing you. But instead of telling them all of the reasons the house isn't a mess or all of the good things you've done, because they're not going to hear you because they're angry with you, just take responsibility for the littlest part that is true. So you're not taking responsibility for an untruth. But if you can say something like, you know, you are right. The sink is a disaster. I'm not going to own it, right? And you don't say that part, but you don't have to own it. But you're right, babe. The sink is a disaster. Or I hear you. I know you're tired and I know that the house is a mess right now. And you're absolutely right. I did not clean the dishes. You're right. I didn't do it. Doesn't mean you're going to do it. But own the piece that you are responsible for. And when that happens, it's so much likely that the other person says, okay, well, thanks. At least you care about what I'm saying. And then you kind of can move forward in the communication. The other two horsemen are stonewalling and contempt. So these are the other two things that people do. Stonewalling is when somebody gets so flooded in a conversation, too many emotions come up for them, that their body actually physically shuts down. But to the person who's experiencing it, it looks like someone who doesn't care, right? Mm -hmm. And so that person actually often amps up their criticism. You never listen to me. What's wrong with you? You're being such a jerk. But for the person stonewalling, when they're hooked up to machines, they often have a heart rate that's elevated to about 100 beats per minute or more. And there are hormones that are being released in their body that get released in your body when you're in fight or flight. And so their body is just shut down and they can't access the part of the brain that allows for conversation. They can only access the part that would let them run away or is letting them think about how they could freeze. And you can recognize stonewalling when someone's kicking their foot a lot. Mm -hmm. So when there's like the nervous kick, that's usually people are flooded. They're trying to soothe themselves. When people cross their arms across their bodies and they have a blank stare, usually they're flooded and they're stonewalling you because they're trying to soothe their bodies and get their heart rate down. So if you see that in your partner, a really helpful thing is to say, let's take a break. This is important to talk about, but let's take 20 minutes and we'll come back. And if you're the partner stonewalling, 
it's so important that you learn to still be engaged in your relationship. So you might not be able to say to your partner, oh yeah, let's solve the dish problem. I have this really great idea. But you can say, I'm feeling really flooded. I don't know what's going on. I love you and I need a break. Letting the other person know you love them and letting them know that you are still there is an antidote to stonewalling and then being able to self-soothe. And then the fourth one is contempt. And contempt is the most dangerous of them all. So when there is contempt in a relationship, it's really a sign that the relationship is in a bad space. Because it is criticism supercharged, it can verge on abuse or become abuse. And so when we show contempt, we don't just say, you're always on the couch. We say things like, no wonder you got fired from your job last week. You don't do anything around this house. You are so lazy. So we have superiority in our voice, condescension, belittling, um, and we do things that hit below the belt, right? So mm-hmm. your mom would be ashamed, you know, and talking about like a dead a dead mother and saying something like that, right? That's mm-hmm. contempt. And we, when you hear it, you're like, oh, but I will say most of us have done it to some extent. We also have seen people do it. When we see it, we're like, oh, that's so cringy. When we're doing it, we're like, hi, I need to say this. They need to hear it. <laughs> the problem isn't doing it once or twice or even five times. The problem is when that seeps into the relationship as the main way of communicating your upset feelings. And Uh, for obvious reasons, eventually the person says, I'm done with the abuse. You know, you don't like me. You don't respect me. You think I'm disgusting. You flare your nose at me and the relationship ends. So, and one way to recognize that actually this is interesting, it's the only unilateral facial expression. So every other facial expression we use, we do it on both sides of our face. When we have contempt, we only use one side of our face. Wow. So you'll put like one lip and one side of your nose and one eyebrow will go up and the other side of the face stays muted. (laughs) That is fascinating. We know what to look for now. (laughs) Oh yeah. And now that you know, you're going to see it everywhere. Like in, especially in office meetings, you can tell when someone is really disgusted, like they're not saying anything, but their face goes up just on one side and when people feel contempt, they cannot hide it, even if they're trying. I'm having it flashbacks. It is a very powerful. <laughs> it's very powerful. <laughs> wow. wow. So, yeah. So that's the last one. And the important part about that is to either figure out what are you really pissed off about? Because it's usually, it either comes from you feeling like there was a betrayal or something done wrong to you. Um, for a lot of women, it happens, like, let's say after the birth of a child and you feel like your partner didn't help. And so you carry that resentment and it turns into contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you going to repair that? Because you can't stay in resentment and contempt your entire relationship, or it comes from learning to behave that way because it's how your parents behaved. And so in that, you have to really do a lot of personal work around when I'm upset, how do I work on not feeling disgust? And how do I work on just still treating the other person with respect? Everything you just said helped me understand so many of the relationships around me and like what I've seen in some of my friends and how they deal with conflict, what I've seen in my own family, but I've never been able to boil it down to 
those steps and those like those four horsemen. So that really helps understand what's going on in your own relationship. And you were just teaching us how to adult over here. Yeah. And it's a great adult hack because once you know, it's really only four things, four behaviors, and there's a lot of motivators to those behaviors, learning them, trauma, frustration, all sorts of stuff. But if you know, okay, these four behaviors are not going to do any good for my relationship. It's a lot easier just to pick those out and to say, okay, I'm being a little critical. Can I shift this right now? I think I'm being defensive. Can I just shut up? And can I just listen for a second? And doing those little shifts can make huge differences in the way that you communicate with whoever you're communicating with. Love it. That makes a lot of sense. That's super helpful. And in terms of other stressors that kind of are leaching into relationships right now, what kind of strain do you think that the economic and career and just general future uncertainty of this time right now is placing on couples and how can they approach those worries as a team? I think it's putting a lot of strain and I think it's either going to bring couples together, really close together, and they're going to have this amazing experience with each other of coming together during a stressful traumatic event. And they're going to look back at this as something that's kind of like an anchor to them, right? Or really, really strong roots in their relationship. And there's other couples that are going to experience what I like to call the big bang. And a big bang is when there's a really, really stressful experience and your partner doesn't respond very well, or you don't respond well as a couple. And Even though it doesn't cause the end of the relationship in that moment, it's kind of like the Big Bang where over time the relationship's going to go extinct because the pain of how something was responded to when you really needed your partner isn't overcome. And so we want to avoid a Big Bang, right? We don't want our partner to later on a year from now, two years from now, look back and say, when I think back to that time, you weren't there for me. You didn't care. You were a terrible partner and I can never forgive you. We want to be there for our partner. And you really want to think about what do we need in secure attachments? You know, we need to know that people are there for us. We need to know that even though a lot of our village in some ways has been decimated, people have lost jobs, they can't do social outings, they can't even see their partners sometimes. We need to know that we have a village. So how are you showing your partner that you've got their back? How are you showing your partner that you're their ally? Like, do not side with the enemy. If your partner comes home and says, my boss was being such a jerk today and laid off a thousand people and I'm so upset about it, don't say, well, it makes so much sense that your boss did that because the economy, you know, the the company was closing down. Yeah, yeah, we know. It makes sense that the boss did it. I think your partner probably knows too. But your partner needs to know, I'm your ally. I'm here for you. And at the end of the day, your stress and your perception of all of this actually really matters to me. On the flip side of that, we also need to be very mindful of the self. How are we bringing ourselves into these relationships? You know, are we both allowing ourselves to lean on people when we need to, but also recognizing the impact sometimes? So if I walk into every single time I see my husband, I walk into the room and I say, oh my God, the world has gone to shit. My husband is going to want to run away from me, right? (laughs) Not because he doesn't love me and want to be there for my stress, 
but because you can't hear that all day long. So yeah. my job is to also be able to journal, breathe, talk to friends, have a therapist, find outlets. So we have to balance both. I'm there for your stress, but I'm also there for my stress too, so that I don't I don't poison you with it all day long. I'm so glad that we're one step closer to learning that today. I genuinely feel more equipped to deal with relationships right now. So we really appreciate all of your yeah. insights and please tell everyone where they can find you and your services and all the content that you put out. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. I had so much fun talking to you both today. So I'm Liz Earnshaw. You can find me at Liz Listens on Instagram. I also own a practice in Center City, Philadelphia, and we serve people in California, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um, and we really focus on relationships, whether you're single or you're in a couple. Um, and you can find us at a betterlifetherapy.com. And I also have a course or a membership program actually called Love Lessons 365. And it is completely designed to support people in any of the relationships that they have to build healthier, happier relationships with other people through building a healthy and happy relationship with themselves. We hope you feel more equipped to deal with whatever your relationships throw at you right now so you can communicate like the well-adjusted, securely attached, opened and honest and fabulous partner that you are. <laughs> we'll leave you with a quote from one of our fave authors and speakers, our queen, Glennon Doyle. The only meaningful thing we can offer one another is love. Not advice, not questions about our choices, not suggestions for the future, just love. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.